It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. I am here, as always, with Billy Muzio. We are celebrating Dynasty Week in the Roto Underworld. Uh, and we have a fantastic guest. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to Billy's favorite sport, soccer. We have the United States against Mexico tonight, so I'm, I'm dressed up for the uh, the festivities. I'm sure Billy will not be tuning in, but I will be uh, 10 o'clock tonight. But to, we for Dynasty Week, we wanted to bring in a shark. If any of you tuned into the episode we had a few episodes back with Nelson Sousa, who is a fantastic high stakes player, I feel like Scott Connor has that same sort of uh, power in terms of the dynasty streets, where Scott is such a good player and such a creative and unique dynasty mind that he's able to influence some of the players with the most uh, most you know money in the game and also some big-time analysts uh, all really, really respect Scott. Scott is also a very, very good redraft player. We see Scott out in the high-stakes streets in Vegas. I don't enjoy drafting against Scott, but I do enjoy saying hello to Scott in person, and I'm going to say hello to you today. Scott uh, does Destination Devi and also a fantastic show called Dynasty Trades in 5. That's a really, really good one. So, Scott, welcome to First Class Fantasy. Let everybody know what you have going on right now. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, honored to be here for Dynasty Week. I think you nailed it, Theo. Uh, Destination Devi, I uh, do a couple shows over there. Uh, will be a new show launching here in about a month. Uh, we really haven't ironed out the details, but uh, Ray and myself will be doing our own live show once a week. Uh, so we'll have that. And then also I do a podcast on there called Destination Dynasty. Oh, and then Trades in 5. Like anybody that's on the YouTube streets, they probably know Trades in 5. We live stream every Tuesday night. Strategy, questions, big things, little things. I mean, all things Dynasty. Uh, a couple hours every week. And then we are doing a uh, five-hour marathon tomorrow. Or no, this will air on Thursday. So yeah, it'll be on Saturday, 7 to 12. Did so, you make uh, a ruling on on-air cigarette smoking? Is it allowed <laughs> for Shane? <laughs> so we've built in normally we do have to like message Shane, you know, while the stream's going on and be like, Shane, we're almost done. 
you know, we said an hour and a half, but it's two and a half hours. And I know you're Jones in there for that cigarette, but we did build in a couple guests for the stream. So there is going to be like a 30 minute break for Shane where he can go and do whatever. He can come back refreshed, <laughs> ready to go so that he, uh, if you've ever watched before, I mean, he can love Shane. I know he's, uh, he, he's very sharp, but he can get easily distracted. So we did build in those, those governors for him on the show, but yeah, that'll be fun to do a five hour stream. It'll just be nonstop. It, we get like a thousand questions a stream and I feel so bad. Like you guys know you want to ham- you want to help everybody. You want to answer everybody's questions, but it's like everybody is in a league where, Hey, Hey, should I do this trade or should I make this move? So hopefully we can get to more people on Saturday, but yeah, Saturday seven to midnight. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And Billy Muzio, you are back from the FSGA in Cleveland. Um, You know, I saw your social media. How were you as a competitive bowler, Billy? Um, I seem to be on just the opposite sides of 100, whether it be golf or bowling. Um, No, just kidding. Actually, it was pretty good. We, we, it's just like anything with bowling, right? The first round you haven't bowled since usually the year before, because you only bowl like once or twice a year max, unless you're like, a shark bowler and we were out. I think all of us hit like 120 to 130 on the first round. Next round, we're on the 140 range. I think we got up to like 150, but that's about it for me on bowling. I'm not a 200 bowler. So it's just having fun, having drinks, have Howard Bender. I was out there with um, Coop as well. Uh, met TJ from MBS. So um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a good group. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, it's good to have you back though, Billy. I filled in for Billy yesterday on Man vs. Machine with Heath Cummings. Highly recommend it. Uh, and Billy, a, a big uh, shout out to as much. I, I love the the paint color that Mrs. Muzio picked for your walls, but your <laughs> new your new background is is epic. So a big shout out to your new podcasting studio. It looks really really awesome. Here, I'm gonna zoom out so people can see it real quick. Even though it's gonna like mess up the, the overlay real quick. And why Boom. don't you give a preface? Who are we looking at here? We got a little Joe Montana. Yeah, and yeah. Who's, we got who's a- behind you. We got a little, so we got Joe Montana, we got Craig, we got Ronnie Lott, and Jerry Rice. It's awesome. It's very awesome. Early um, eighties. <laughs> it's no, but it's a, it's, it's tremendous. It's very, very cool. Um, and then you know we mentioned Scott is going to be out in Vegas. Billy's going to be out in Vegas. I'm going to be out in Vegas. If you are at the FFPC live drafts, come introduce yourself. We'd love to get a chance to talk to you. And we are going to hear from the uh, FFPC right now. You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of Fantasy Football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never-too-early best ball leagues cranking since February. And so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. A lot of love in the chat already for Scott. Uh, Chat is lit. Um, You know, I got a chance to podcast with uh, Shane Manila last night. And he said, don't do a show sheet for, for Scott. It'll, it, we, you know, we don't always do them. I said, but I, I'm going to do a show sheet. So we did a show sheet. So we're going to get after it right away. Uh, Billy, Billy's big show sheet guy. I'm a show sheet guy. So we're, <laughs> we're going to keep it tight here. But hopefully we're, we're going to cover a lot today and this is going to be helpful. And I would get a pen and paper out because, again, Scott is not going to be what you hear on every single Dynasty podcast. He's got a way of looking at things. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. So Scott and Billy, when we start to take a look at the 2023 season, who is the single player that you would like to see the final stats for? What's the player that's giving you just a lot of trouble right now that maybe has the widest range of outcomes? Take it any way you want. Start with uh, Scott for this one. So it's funny because I listened to your show last week and the answer that was given or one of the answers that was given was the one that I had in mind. Uh, From a dynasty perspective, I think he's probably the most polarizing quarterback I've been one of the people that have been adamant that he should still be a first nine pick in the startup, like a top nine startup pick. And a lot of people go, I don't include him in that elite tier. Uh, So my original answer before I heard the show last week would have been Deshaun Watson. Because if he's anywhere close to back to where he was, which was essentially the second best QB in the league, probably, unless you wanted to count some of the older guys. But when I'm thinking dynasty, I'm thinking, okay, who's still young, but also really good. You know, that's where you're going to get your premier value. So he was the one before last week's show was Deshaun Watson. Because if he ends up being top 10 or better, like it cements somebody in Dynasty that you should be drafting probably even higher or buying because he's one of the few elite quarterbacks that you can probably purchase. Uh, Meaning like someone will trade him versus a lot of the other quarterbacks. You try to buy him in Superflex and it's just they're unavailable. They're unattainable to the point where, sure, Theo, you may trade your Joe Burrow or your Jalen Hurts, but you're going to destroy my roster to make it happen. So I can't do it. But he's one you can probably buy for market price. So he was one. My other place was, uh, I want to see where the positional advantage is really going to shake out. So I I could say a receiver. I could say a running back that I'm kind of curious as to, okay, how are they going to look in their third year, second year, whatever. Uh, But I went with a tight end. Uh, If I'm going to pick this, Kelsey's easy, but I think there's no value really with Kelsey. He is what he is. You almost can't even rank Kelsey in Dynasty. Like a lot of people say, he's not my tight end one. You're like, he, he, you don't even rank him. You either want him or you don't want him. And I think it's clear in your league, you know, who doesn't want him or who does want him. Uh, I think Mark Andrews is the one. Because I think if you knew Mark Andrews' numbers, uh, of the past five years, he has four of the top 14 seasons. Kelsey has four of the top six, if you're talking about wins above replacement. So impact-wise, positional advantage-wise, he's right there. I don't want to say he's the next Kelsey because I don't think his offense will be as good over the next four or five years, but he's the closest thing we've seen. It's not Kyle Pitts. It's not TJ Hawkinson. It's Mark Andrews. And I think the thing with Andrews is we're cheating if we knew his numbers. 
If you told me his numbers, you gave me his market share, you gave me his yards per route run, you gave me his fantasy points, I could probably tell you what the rest of the Baltimore offense looks like too. You could cascade that down and say, okay, if Andrews is hitting this, this market share out of this many targets, you're going to be able to extrapolate what does that look like for the rest of the receivers? What's that look like for Lamar Jackson? So I think Andrews would be the cheat code, but I'd also know, man, if I knew his numbers, I'm comfortably taking him in the first round, just like Kelsey, because he's the only other guy in the league that has that same potential. I love that answer. I think that that's also like a, a really thoughtful response because Mark Andrews, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, early best balls and, and the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews stack is so much easier to get than it was in previous seasons. I'm kind of betting on that, but it is does have a wide range with the stylistic approach change, getting away from, you know, the Roman to Munkin. Uh, it, there's a lot of variables there, but not the talent. And also he's at that like 27 and a half years old age where he could pick up dynasty value again this year for me you know you talked about watson that's a guy who i've been harping on i tend to agree with you i think he returns to a semi-elite tier at least an impactful for superflex and a starter in 12-man leagues for redraft uh value but for me it's dk metcalf i think metcalf is very interesting because he's 25 years old and last year we saw him get up to 140 targets They've added target competition with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he's kind of at like that. Is he a truly elite dynasty? Uh, you know, is he a truly elite dynasty wide receiver? Or is he just replacement value who has got a big name? I think that there's an argument to be made both ways. He's not being drafted as a wide receiver one. He's comfortably being drafted as a wide receiver two in redraft. And I think that the dynasty community, it's a little bit polarizing kind of where you put him in your ranking. So for me, it's, I want to see, is this a thing where is DK Metcalf, you know, as he gets a little bit older in his career, is he suddenly a guy that could flirt with 150 targets? Because if he goes back to, you know, the 125-ish range uh, with the added competition, then, you know, I think it says a lot about him. How about you, Billy? You know, for me, it's pretty easily Kadaris Tony because we know the upside in this offense, right? And we've seen how tantalizing he is and how much upside he could have if we knew today that he was going to play 17 games next year and we knew the stats at the end of the year, you could argue that he is going to be a round two, round three pick the following year if he truly ends up being the wide receiver one inside Kansas City and, and we see a contract extension. I mean, you're tied to the best quarterback in the NFL. He's still only 24 years old. We see the speed. We see him as a human juke stick. Joystick. If you have him extrapolated off what he has done on the field, it's it's impressive. And I'm every time I see him in draft rooms, whether it's dynasty or redraft, I'm always hesitant to push the button because I, I know that we have the injury concern. I know that he could pull his hamstring next week and miss the next three weeks in camp, and and then be behind going into week one, or it could happen week one, and so. That's the biggest hesitation with me with him because we know he's a very talented receiver. If we knew he could play the whole season, if I knew his stats today, I think he's, without a doubt, one of the most tantalizing players in the NFL, and I'd really love to see those stats. Scott, brief, any quick thoughts on DK and, and Tony? Yeah, with DK, I, I think we've seen enough of DK to kind of know what he is. Uh, we're actually coming out with a pretty cool thing on uh, – I mean, pro player profiler has a ton of awesome tools and uh, Destination Devi is going to be putting out something that's, uh, we call it the Trinity, but it's really looking at 
how do receivers win? So kind of think of the spider charts that you see with like Matt Harmon's reception perception, but it's a little more focused on how to predict fantasy production. And there's just a very glaring part of the game that DK Metcalf lacks. It doesn't mean he can't be really good, but when you start looking at him compared to other guys, I actually think he's, you could pretty much expect around what he's done for his career to continue. You know, he's between wide receiver 10 and 20. That's what you're going to get. You just need the offense to be efficient to where he can stay in that range. Uh, but to Billy's point on Kadarius Tony, I tend to think, and I used to always be the, oh man, injury prone, injury prone, injury prone. But you guys know when you put a lot of money up, you really have to kind of look at things as like, you're going to be wrong a lot more than you're going to be right. But where do you want to have your money when the odds might be in your favor, right? If you're played blackjack before, like the whole goal is, you know, you're going into a game where you're not ever going to be the favorite, but when the money is in your favor, when the odds are in your favor, you get as much money down as you can. And I think we overestimate the injury stuff. How many things are there in a football season, just in life in general, that we underestimate the amount of variance that exists? There's so much about, we think we, we could sit here and say, we know everything about all these players. We have all the data. We could have all of our sites combined and say, we have all the data on everybody. But we probably like don't know 70% of what's going on with players to like what's going on in their heads during games. What's going on in their personal lives? Like we don't know any of that stuff. So to sit there and go, oh man, injury prone, fade that guy. When there's so many other factors that could take down any other player that we're not even measuring, I almost kind of look at injuries now and I'm like, I'm just playing the market on the injuries. I was never in on Tony until there's chances where you can be in on him. So I actually, I like that call by Billy because that would be one where I bet you if you showed me Tony's numbers and he had 30 catches and he missed eight games, <laughs> that that now tells me something about four other players on their team, most likely, right? Yeah. I should be higher on Marquez Valdez-Scantley and I should be higher on Rasheed Rice. I should be higher on Sky Moore. I should be higher on Richie James, you know, somebody. But if I know him, I can probably project everybody else. So I think that's a really good call out. It's like the sliding doors effect or of 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 one thing happening in an offense and it affecting everything else. I think that's a really great way of looking at fantasy in general. I'm really one, glad that he mentioned Richie James because no one's talking about him and he's a sneaky good value right now. Well, guys, there's a reason people don't like to talk about <laughs> Richie James, but but we'll, we'll we'll keep him on the list. We'll keep him on the list, guys. Uh, it helps when your quarterback is Mahomes. Um, when when it comes to uh you know podcasting, one of the things I really like asking very high level people with volume from Billy Muzio to Chad Schroeder to a B-Bag Batoba, Chris Vaccaro, Chris Ebel, uh, Billy Wazowski. I've sat down with all of them. Danny Mueller, your friend. It's very interesting how certain people, some of the highest, uh, most highly successful uh, players in the entire game, some really care about ownership, roster percentages, exposure, however you want to look at it. And some don't care at all. Some will look at it when, you know, hey, maybe I need to look at it in this format. Some will just say, you know, I want to draft the best possible player. Scott, where are you at with exposure levels with your dynasty teams? Do you like to have diversity in rosters or are you pushing the chips in on certain players and you're willing to go like 35, 40% with a guy? Yeah, I am very, very diligent at uh, tracking, especially in Dynasty. Not redraft. We all play a lot of redraft, but we're all playing at different sites, in different tournaments, different formats. So I, I, I am a little more lax when it comes to redraft, unless I'm playing in like a big tournament where I have a ton of entries, then maybe I'll track it. But if I'm just doing, you know, 
10 main events and six tournaments over here and eight over here. Like I'm not probably tracking my ownership as much or my rostership as much, but dynasty, I'm very diligent dynasty. I've tracked it on a spreadsheet for five years, manually entered every player that I have on every single roster. Um, I have a separate sheet that it feeds into. It'll tell me my roster ship of every player at all times. I have it tracked down to the number of draft picks that I have. So at any point I can tell you how many picks I have in 2024, 2025, in a given year, I can tell you how many 103s, 108s, 207s, all of that. Uh, now, there's a cool site called Dynasty Daddy that just came out uh, that actually allows you to track all of that, does all the work for you. And normally I've seen these tools year after year, and I'm like, it doesn't compare to my own spreadsheet until this one. And then I line it up with my spreadsheet. I go, damn, there's like no errors, like catches it all. So I'll, I'll plug that. I don't get anything out of it, but I'll plug that. But I do track it. Uh, I think that as Dynasty starts to evolve, uh, the edge that you have in just saying, I know players better than Billy or Theo, or I can make projections better than you. Uh, I think that is a, a dying art of an edge. Uh, there's so much content out there that it's really hard to say, I'm just better at that than you guys. Uh, the edge is in manipulating your league, reading your league, reading the other managers, taking advantage of them, taking advantage of their tendencies. Uh, and then also just recognizing the room, you know, like I, I'm big on process, but if I get in a room with eight other people that have the exact same process as me, my process isn't as valuable. So I think that's where some of the roster ship comes in where I can be very rigid. Hey, I hit on a player. I have 30% exposure. Guess what? One of my edges is because I'm in 50 leagues. I can go shop 10 of those shares and take the best price in the right league. I did a show on this the last, uh, last weekend on Destination Dynasty. How do you take advantage of portfolio? Well, guess what? If I have 10 shares of a moderately valued player and for some reason his value just spikes because of something that happened, Alexander Madison, for instance, I'm not shopping him in one league. I could go to that league. You and Billy are in it. A bunch of other sharp people. I'm not giving you a first rounder for Madison, right? Why would I do that? That's a sucker move. But guess what? I have 10 of them. I can go shop across all 10. So now I'm leveraging set of 11 managers. I'm leveraging, you know, another hundred managers against each other and taking the best price. So playing your portfolio there, it's no different than somebody that has a lot of money in life, right? They can be a little riskier when it comes to investments. They can pick and choose because they don't have to win this one investment to make a profit. They can diversify. So I think it it tracks in Dynasty. So I'm very rigid. Um, I've done shows and content on how I manage it, but I think that's more of a personal preference. I think it tracking it, tracking everything you do, how much you spend, all your player shares, like I think that's really valuable. Once you do it, you won't want to do it any other way. Just make sure you have the time. It's tough. Scott, I love the analogy that you did with, um, you know, being a risk adverse and being able to make different gambles. How risk adverse are you with percentages? What's, is there a limit at which you'll go 30, 30%, 37%, 40%? What is typically the cap for you in a dynasty format? So I think it, it depends on where you're storing your value, right? Like if you're storing a bunch of value in elite quarterbacks, I tend to be a lot more liberal with that. I'll go 30, 40% just because I don't think I have to act as fast if something happens. Yeah, um, I'm okay taking a loss short term on Lamar Jackson because he's going to hold out or Kyler Murray because he tears an ACL. Like I'm okay taking a little bit of a loss and having to wait versus if you're talking about flat ranges of wide receiver twos, threes, fours, running back twos, threes, even high-end running back ones at this point, like 95% of running backs, I feel like are year to year. 
no joke, like year to year, you know, to where like there's very few where I go set and forget for multiple years at running back. So I think in those ranges, you do have to be mindful. You don't want to go all in on a wide receiver three when, you know what, do I I really need to have 25% Jerry Judy? Or can I look in that range and go, is there another receiver that literally has the same range of outcomes as him, but I only have 2%? Is that a place where I can literally go and find the spot? Hey, maybe this league I don't have Russell Wilson, but I have Brock Purdy. I'll go get Brandon Ayuk in that league instead of Jerry Judy. Am I really getting that big of a difference in terms of the bets that I'm making? But I'm actually aligning a stack in the league where it makes sense to make the stack, and I'm spreading out my exposure in a flat tier already. Like I'm pretty confident neither of those guys are going to blow up to where they're the most in-demand receiver asset. So it makes perfect sense to kind of just maintain, uh, I'm usually around 10 to 20% of assets in that range. Once I get to 20, I'm kind of looking at, can I liquidate? Can I flip, go to another player in the same range? But obviously I want to have exposure to those two players. They're good. It's just, I'm probably capped in terms of what my ROI is. So I'm fine looking for places where I can balance it out. And do you find yourself as the deeper you get like rounds let's call it dynasty around six, seven, eight, depending upon how deep your leagues are that those ownerships and percentages can increase. Yeah. I mean, as you go down in terms of the asset value, yeah, uh, like I'm probably at 40, 50% at some of these backup third string running backs, because I know they become a roster spot if they don't become a player that I can hold through the season. So I'm carrying guys, you know, Kenyon Drake's Melvin Gordon's those types they're very easy to go from zero to 40 and back to zero, right? I can pick yeah. them up, drop them because they're going to follow the current trend of if they're even on a team, whether you even want to roster them. And I think it's true in later rounds or rookie drafts. But one of my biggest edges, I think, in the last couple of years is pick your flag players late in rookie drafts. If I'm in 50 leagues, I want 15 shares of this player. that This year, Chris Rodriguez for Washington. I want him in every league. And you know what? He's the type of player that if he hits, I can immediately go. He's a day three plotting running back that I can flip for a bunch of thirds or fourths or, you know, look for a profit. Right. But I don't want to diversify in those ranges either because it's either I hit on him and I can flip some or I whiff on him and it's 15 free roster spots. There, There is no in between. The worst thing you can do is let's say you're in 15 leagues. Every time you get to the third or fourth round, you're picking a different player. Because now I have 25 shares across 15 leagues of a bunch of day three players that are, hopefully they do something in the preseason before they have any value. Guess what's going to happen if I hit on a couple of those? Because I am going to hit on a couple, right? Out of 25, I'm going to hit on three or four. I'm going to go, damn, that's my only share of Puka Nakua. I can't trade him. What if he hits? I'm going to be less likely to just play the process. So I think you got to slim it down when you go to the lower ranges of assets, because then you can move your exposure around much easier. And Billy, would you agree? I, I would, it, that if you were, you know, entering a ton of underdogs or, you know, FFPC players championships or NFFC online championships, that as you get to like round 15 on, it doesn't matter. Like round 15 on, if I feel conviction on a guy, I'm going to draft him every single draft because he might be a, a cut candidate in the non best ball formats for me, uh, or are you tracking down to the, to the bottom rounds? And is there a certain percentage that 
you like to to not go over? Yeah, I track down at the bottom rounds, but I it's also depending on the format. Like best ball, you have to right yeah. where because you you can't you can't fix your you know your shit pick on waivers. Where none of if, my best ball picks will be shit picks. <laughs> we all have them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. I think if you are in redraft, I think you could be more determined and say, I'm going to take this guy every time to Scott's point, right? If we have like the year Elijah Mitchell hit, I had like a 65% ownership, right? Unfortunately, I probably dropped 20% week one after he didn't do anything thinking, oh, there's three ahead of him, and we have to have a lot go wrong for this to go right. And then I had to repick him up in 20%. But to that point, I still had 40% that were on the roster already where somebody like, John Mechie this year or McCall Hardman that are going very late in drafts, I'm okay having 40, 45% of those because if they do hit, and even in best ball particularly, if they do hit, then you have a, a huge win that late and you're 45% roster where if they, they miss, how many points are you really missing out on in a round 15, 16 round wide receiver in comparison to the running back that you took in that round? And so, yes, there is going to be exceptions to any of the rules, but I think that... <laughs> At the end of the day, in best ball, I'm not going to really want to exceed 30% in those, for me at least. When I'm in redraft, like I said, I'll take them every single time because I can fix it on the waiver wire. To Scott's point, the edge that you can create in rooms where he talks about processes and never having the same processes, he's spot on. right? One of the things that he didn't mention, which I'm a firm believer on, is just that working your league mates and making sure that you're on the waiver wire seven days a week. You're on there as games are going on on Sunday. You're adding players into your inside of your uh, inside of your your fab bids as the games are going on. So you don't forget the names, right? And then you come back and, and look at them again. I mean, there's days where Dave and I are on waivers for 10, 10 hours in that, that day as we're processing our teams. And so I look at it and say, we might all have similar processes, but I know I'm going to outwork a lot of people. And I know that as the season progresses, especially people who have multiple leagues where they take on more for their first time, maybe they went from five to 10 to 10 to 15 to 20 to 50, 70 to 80. There's a learning curve at every single increase. And if you are constantly outworking them because you know how hard it is, if you, det- if you keep that determination, that's another edge that you can get. And I will say this. We're going to talk to a lot of people on First Class Fantasy, a lot of extremely sharp people. And there is not a single successful high-stakes fantasy football player that's one year in, year out that doesn't really grind the waiver wire. That's like people can tell you, I like to build my teams this way. I'm a zero RB guy. I'm a hero RB guy. You need to wait on quarterback. You need to take tight end early. A lot of people have different rules and approaches. Basically, there's two things that are true in in fantasy. Any single approach to drafting works if you select the correct players. And you have to grind the waiver wire because you're not going to make it. uh, You're going to see certain guys kill you on the waiver wire, especially when you get to the really, really highly competitive streets like the FFPC main event or the NFFC at the highest level, FFWC, wherever you're going, you need to make sure you're grinding the waivers. I think that's a really, really great point. Uh, I want to take it back. Scott, you know, you're, you like the, I think you, you definitely, you definitely helped the trend start. And I think you guys like to claim that you were the first ones with the trade back philosophy. And I'll give you some credit. You were big on that for many years in a dynasty startup trading back, but you've kind of flipped the switch a little bit. Uh, Maybe you could share how, in the day and age of, hey, everybody wants to trade back and get those future ones or get a little more equity, how can you exploit that mentality? And is there formats where you do like to trade up in Dynasty Startups? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it's format dependent, but I think with um, what I've done the last couple of years has been I've been a big proponent of the trade up to try to get the elite quarterbacks, but then essentially buy back some of your equity that you traded up with by just using some very specific rules. So if you're in a, a super flex startup with, let's just say, 25-man rosters or something like that, even if it's uh, just, let's just say it's like triflex format, but maybe slightly deeper rosters, right? So I like getting the two elite quarterbacks, but that's going to cost you X amount of capital to move up. Probably you're going to have to trade in to get a second pick inside the top 10 or so. Uh, but then if you stick to a couple rules and you're not, what I don't want to do is trade away all my future picks. And it's not at all, a lot of people here trade away future picks and then they immediately go to, oh man, I don't want to trade away that future pick, but I can justify doing it because, well, that second rounder is not going to be anything later on. The hit rate on a second rounder is blah, blah, blah. But really what you're trading away is the flexibility to bail yourself out. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I see, especially startups right after a season. You get people in January and February doing startup drafts and they trade away all their future picks and they go, oh man, I know exactly what my team's going to look like. Eight months later, when the season starts, they've, they are, their team is already not what they thought it was because they just overestimated how sure they were of how things are going to go even in an off season. But then they haven't given themselves essentially the extra insurance to fall back on if they're wrong. So I'm big on trading up, but I don't want to trade away my future picks. I don't want to give away more startup picks than I get back, but I'm willing to take the loss in terms of like round capital. But then with my other picks, can I make these leverage trades? Everyone will see me say leverage, leverage, leverage. It's basically operating in a zone where things are flat, where I can take advantage of the fact that Billy or Theo wants to pick their preference. And I'm okay not getting my preference, but I'm operating in a range where everything is pretty much flat if we're talking about bets or range of outcomes. So in, in those ranges, I do want to trade back. Can I trade up, but then trade back with a couple other picks and pick up a future first on top? And still get myself another pick, right? So my pick would be round eight. Yours might be round four, but you give me a first so you can move up and take the player you want. I'll take the eighth and the player that I want. When I'm trading up, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up the four for one, the five for one, the five for two. So I think it's just operating both ways to where you leave the startup with roster construction, kind of how you want it. A competitive team, but it's obviously not going to be the best team because you traded back a couple rounds, right? but I also have the highest assets in my bank that I can use at a later time. That's the biggest mistake in Dynasty I see people make. They think they have a stacked team until they don't. The real dangerous team is the team that has a good team, but also has a second team worth of assets stored away where they can go, hey, we get to the middle of the season, I'm going to go on vacation and just spend all my money. Buy some points here. Buy this player here. Oh, that guy got injured. Let me buy somebody to bail myself out of that injury. Like that's where the successful players come. And it's it, sometimes it's hard to build that up in a year, but in a startup, that's my main goal. I love that. And I think that one thing that Shane, uh, Shane Manila pointed out was it's the perception that there's multiple tiers when you get to like rounds four through eight. And I think that the dynasty community, even really sharp drafters sometimes overvalue uh, the fourth rounder versus the eighth rounder. It's more flat. Then, then I think a lot of people I'll lead on, and I want to take it to Billy, and we'll come back to you for this one, Scott, because I want to tie some things in. The truly elite quarterbacks, we keep referencing them. Let's let's break them into tiers, guys, uh, and we can take it from dynasty here, Billy. I'll start out with Mahomes, Allen, and Jalen Hurts. Is Joe Burrow in that truly the top? To, is it a top four 
or is it a three and then one for for you, Billy? I think you have to include Burrow here because okay. as much as I like Jalen Hurts, let's face let's face it, rushing quarterbacks longevity is just not as long as pocket passers in the NFL, and so I think that you can capitalize on the fantasy points that you're going to get in the earlier parts of the career for Jalen Hurts. But I think Joe Burrow in the long run, especially if you're looking at super flex leagues, dynasty leagues, Joe Burrow as a pocket passer is going, his career is probably going to outlast Jalen Hurts. And so when I look at this and say, I want the Patrick Mahomes, I want the Joe Burrow. I want the Josh Allen. I want the Jalen Hurts. I would argue that Joe Burrow should probably be right behind Patrick Mahomes just because of the longevity. Now to, you know, the points that we've been discussing, you don't want to have 100% Joe Burrow. Like you're, you're mixing in different variations of ownership between these guys, especially whatever your roster construction may look like. Are you stacking? Are you not stacking? And so there's different things that you need to consider when you're building these rosters. But I would argue that Joe Burrow needs to be near the top of this tier. Okay, so let's take it back to Scott. We've established the top four. Um, are you trying to push anybody else into this top four tier? Or is it like to you... It, and do you agree with that that top four in this tier? I think it depends on the scoring. Uh, if you're talking like six-point passing touchdown, I think you can pretty much push Herbert, Lawrence, Burrow. We said Watson. We'll see. But I think you can push those guys up to where the tier becomes a lot broader for me. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're talking four-point passing touchdown, like if you're talking FFPC, you can say Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields go into the Burrow-Herbert Lawrence range much closer. I look at it more of, and I get this question all the time. Oh man, you have Justin Herbert. What would you add to go get Patrick Mahomes? For me, nothing. You can't. If I'm already operating in the, if I have Lamar Jackson and Trevor Lawrence as my QBs and Superflex, the last place I want to do or use my extra capital is to go to the tier up. I've already probably spent on enough to where I don't want to use my extra resources to tear up in a range where I think the difference makers against the league, I already am holding two of them. So it just comes down to where do you want to draw that line? Uh, do you put Anthony Richardson in there? Do you put Kyler Murray in there? You know, is it Watson fields Lamar for me? It's a top nine Richardson. You probably got to put in there, but it's risky if you're starting a team with him. I, I think the biggest key with quarterbacks and super flex is you have to understand the scoring. What does it favor? Is it point per completion? Is it six-point passing touchdown? All that kind of stuff matters. But I think generally what you don't want to do is pay for supposed longevity when you're not getting the positional advantage. So wanna... there, there, there's some risk if you're saying, I'm going to value this quarterback because he's younger, but then you look at where is that quarterback actually tracking in terms of like positional advantage. And it's, it's not a difference maker. I don't want to pay. And that goes for players in general. If you're telling me I'm only going to pay for a player because I'm going to get them for a couple years longer, I don't want to be paying for that type of asset. So this is a I great question be- because you look at last year and if we're talking about longevity and even, even in the short term, we've only Jalen hurts has only eclipsed Joe Burrow in points per game in one season. Right. And that was last year. And we saw the additions this team did. We saw the improvements that they made. One can argue that with the additions of the new rushing attack or the, 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 or the new running backs that he may run less this year. They have a harder schedule. He may pass a little bit more. They may be in, in tighter games. If you look at Joe Burrow's consistency as well, and I've never been a huge Joe Burrow fan, but just on a points per game basis, 
and we're talking longevity and short term here. Burrow now for the last two years has averaged over 20 fantasy points per game, 20.5 in 2021, 21.7 in 2022, where when we look at Jalen Hurts, it was 21.4, 25.6. So yes, last year he outscored by about four fantasy points. The four fantasy points extrapolated over 16 games is not that drastic, right? Where I'd say that you can you could pay up for Jalen Hurts because he's going earlier in a dynasty draft, or you could wait on that tier to take Joe Burrow, who's going to consistently give you 21 fantasy points a game, if not more, to, co- to, to, to everything we've just discussed about trading back or waiting and taking the value and collecting assets. Someone's going to come and pay for Jalen Hurts, where you're going to be able to give up that pick, acquire another assets, and then take Joe Burrow. That's why I think that he needs to be in this tier. Now, off off show sheet question, guys. We've talked about it, so I think we can all agree that the that when you have a, a member of that kind of a truly elite quarterback tier, you're you're feeling great. And I think the, all those guys have a quarterback one season in like the range of out- outcomes. Quarterback one overall. I think that's the yeah. really appealing thing about them. And then that next tier with the the Herberts, the Trevor Lawrence's. You know, we could put Lamar Jackson in either tier. They're both a- incredible. I think there's a little bit of polarization on Justin Fields right now. I think most people have him around QB8, QB9, um, and I think it's deservedly so. But there's one name here, and obviously Richardson and Watson, we could spend an hour on talking about their dynasty value. But one name here that I think is very, very interesting is Kyler Murray. How insulated is Kyler Murray as an elite dynasty asset at quarterback? He's coming off a major injury, and... I think it's a little bit polarizing right now, Scott. I I took him uh, in a startup draft, and I thought I got great value. There's some pushback on some people that are very, very concerned. I look at him as a guy who's consistently scored well as a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I think that the new coaching staff there is going to have be a little. Um, but I mean, I think the the Cliff Kingsbury era was weird, and I think this will be a little bit more like to the norm. So I'm taking a bullish approach on on Murray, and I think he'll come back from injury well. And I think right now he's somewhat of a dynasty buy because he's cheap right now compared to where he was a year ago. How do you view him, Scott? Is he a riskier asset for you, or is he a guy that you think is still a guy you're going out and purchasing in the dynasty format? Yeah, I think one thing to kind of look at with these quarterbacks, and it includes Kyler, is to Billy's point, the one the one reason I'm okay putting Jalen Hurts in this elite range, and I agree, it's basically just been one reason, where one season, right? Like it, he went from. I'm not sure if he has a starter job in the future to there's people I've seen him go QB one in drafts legitimately because people say, man, his ceiling is just higher than everybody else in the league. I think the one thing that's consistent and I'll shout out to destination Debbie. We have a tool coming out. That's going to be looking at this. It, there's this triumvirate. When you look at quarterbacks completion percentage over expected and EPA per play along with QB rating and PFF grade. That's kind of been like the secret sauce of once you, hit the elite range in those categories, you don't fall back. You may fall back for a season. But once you've stayed in that range, that's why you can look at somebody like Joe Burrow and why I was really high on him, even after his knee injury, but especially last year. If you guys remember, people were fading him after 2021 because, man, there's no way the explosive plays and the touchdown rate is going to continue. But you look at all of his advanced passing efficiency metrics and the guy looks like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Like you're like, you can probably, I'm like, I hate to compare somebody to Drew Brees, but you're like, he could have 15 years where he's between QB three and QB eight. 
And that's just who he is. Now, if I told you that, if you could predict 15 years that you're getting a top 10 quarterback for 15 years, you could say he should be almost QB one, right? And that's because his efficiency metrics are so tricky. They are so sticky from year to year where it's like, man, he could fall off. Maybe one of his receivers gets hurt or maybe they have a bad year, but it's not going to completely collapse. And that's the same with Josh Allen. Same with Jalen Hurts. Same with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, people think, oh, he's not a good passer, but he's finished in there. Justin Fields was at the bottom of the league in every one of those categories. Sure, he can run, but like it is no joke when people say he was maybe the worst passer in the league last year. And that's not, the, these are supposed to be measuring aside from the weapons. Oh, he didn't have weapons, right? But I mean, he was down in a range where there were a lot of other quarterbacks that we would just write off regardless of their weapons. But there's Fields. Let's make excuses for him because of his pedigree and how much we liked him. Kyler's kind of the same way. He's had one really good year, which was not the year he had really good rushing numbers. And then his other three years have been not so good. He's had two years where you look at his passing numbers and they're outside the top 20. So I think he is a bet. He's, he's a lesser bet than Justin Fields, and he's a cheaper bet than Justin Fields. Real quick, what I'm doing with my exposure on Kyler, I'm parking him on teams where I don't have any pressure of him needing to get back to where he was. Uh, I just made a trade where I traded uh, Tua and a couple seconds for Kyler Murray on a team where I already have Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Why did I put him on that team? Because I'm figuring I can park him there. I don't need him this year. But more importantly, I'm taking a really high-end potential future asset away from another team. That's where I want to have my exposure. I don't want to be going into a team where, man, I, I need Kyler to get back to where he was. He's my QB1. I don't feel good with that. But I think he's just a similar bet to Fields, but less pricey, and uh, he's shown a little bit more than Fields. Your your thoughts on Murray, uh, Billy? The, obviously, this has, isn't a guy that we've had to discuss on First Class Fantasy because we're very concerned about him for this season. How insulated is he for the long run? I think the argument for this year can also be made for the long run. And you look at the coaching changes as well, right? They went out and they they have now Jonathan Gannon, head coach. We don't know what type of what this team is going to look like. They went out and got Drew Petzing as the offensive coordinator. We haven't seen him as an offensive quarterback or offensive coordinator. He was a quarterback's coach, a tight ends coach, a wide receivers coach, an assistant coach. So what does the long-term plan of this offense look like? We can't be 100% certain today, and we're going to learn more and more about it as camp kind of unfolds and we get into the season. But Murray's also not their guy. They didn't go out and draft him, right? They could decide to move on from him after this year and attack quarterback in the draft in 2024. I mean, there's a real chance that they could possibly have two top five picks in the in this in this draft, and so I think you have to look at this and say you have to bake into that risk. What does he look like on another team? Is he going to fit the scheme? Is is Kyler Murray going to to make sense for that? What does the division look like? There's a lot of questions that you have with Kyler Murray, a running quarterback coming off ACL. We always have to be a little bit mindful of of his agility, right, and be able to make cuts. And, and, and being able to take advantage of that speed, I think we have to consider there's going to be some downside there. We can't just say he's going to 100% recover. And so I do have some concerns with him. I'll still draft him, but I don't think that he can be considered a top-tier quarterback, especially with what's happening now today in 2023 and what could possibly happen in the future. I think that's fair, and I look forward to hearing uh, Ray and Scott talk about Caleb Williams and Drake May and all these exciting guys we have coming up in this draft class 
And Billy, you nailed it. I think that that's the scary thing, because if they have a truly horrific season, it's going to be hard to not take Caleb Williams, um, you know, just based on what we think he's going to be as a prospect. I want to flip over to the tight end position. Scott, one thing I really enjoyed discussing with you earlier, and this was pre-NFL draft, was you're evaluating the tight end position not so much as looking at players, but you're looking at archetypes. What was some of the things you found with tight end archetypes, the letting size be a predictor of future fantasy success in a sense? Um, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, always putting tight end questions whenever we do shows together because uh, other than Andrew Cooper and a couple others, but I'll give a shout out to him. It seems like one of those positions where, I mean, I hate to say it, but the analysis is very lazy and probably for a good reason because most people that are tuning into mainstream fantasy shows or just redraft or best ball, like it isn't that hard to analyze the tight end position, right? Like you're trying to hit on positional advantage or I don't care. And that's kind of turned to Dynasty, and it's become very similar. But what it's created is, in Dynasty, we need stuff to talk about. We need players to talk about. So even though we all acknowledge, if you're just in a you know non-tight end premium or even a 1.5 tight end premium, it's still the haves or the have-nots. But we still find ways to talk about this player, this player, this player. So I dove into the research last year and essentially looked at, does it even matter? And the reality is it doesn't. The The positional advantage is basically the same, whatever the tight end premium is, and still you're starting to get to like 1.75 or 2.0 premium. It really doesn't start hitting to the point where, man, any good starting tight end, I can throw in my flex and feel good about it over a receiver or over a running back. So then you start looking at like, well, where do these tight ends come from? Because every year it's like every summer, oh, this tight end's going to break out, this rookie tight end, this sophomore tight end, all he needs is more targets. Uh, we're pretty good at figuring out what makes a good tight end. And it's not just archetypes, but then you get into the season and it's their usage. So I think with archetypes, I'm looking for obviously athletic tight ends, high RAS score tight ends. But then within the RAS score, and this is something that I've dove into more this offseason, within the RAS score, you start looking at, okay, why is a player's RAS score good? And you start to see an outlier where you get a lot of these tight ends. And, I, and I'll be fair, I answered somebody's question on Twitter today about Brock Bowers next year. Uh, because Brock Bowers is one of those guys where he tracks right now. I know he's listed at 6'4", uh, but I think he's probably more like 6'3", 235, 240. Don't pour pour cold water on Brock Bowers, well, Scott. I'm already excited no, about listen, drafting Brock Bowers. I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to pour cold water on it because I think we're starting to see teams that are using these tight ends a little bit differently. So this is going to be a big stretch of time. I mean, because you got guys like Greg Dulcich and Chiggy and Sam Laporta. Like, if these guys start to be used a little bit differently, maybe I'll have to change my tune a little bit. But historically, you know what you want at tight end? You want all those things that those guys are, but you want 6'5", 260, and you you want them to be out. The most predictive thing of tight end points is playing time, snaps. And I know George Kittle's frustrating. I know Billy's a San Fran guy. The one thing that keeps Kittle in the mix every year is he's on the field all the time. Same with Tyler Higby. You might look at Tyler Higby and go, that guy's not any good. But he's always in the top eight or higher in targets per route run and in route run and snap rate. That's what I want. I don't want these 
really, really risky weapons like Chiggy or Greg Dulcich to where you look up and you go, yeah, he played 51% of the snaps, but man, did you see all those routes that he ran per snap? Did you see his targets per route run rate? All he has to do is just start playing more. But then you sit there and you go, teams don't view 6'3", 240-pound tight ends as guys they need to play 80% of the time. In fact, they're, they're niche players. So then when you start talking about how they're really valuable, right? Like Greg Dulcich, top 10 tight end in Dynasty. Sam Laporta, top 10 tight end. Dalton Kincaid, first round pick. But they're going to use him out of the slot. You know, like it, it just doesn't track. So I, I'm very interested to see, does the new age tight end start to look like Evan Ingram usage last year, where he's playing 75% of the snaps, but he is a 6'3", 235-pound, basically a slot receiver. But then you sit there and you look at somebody like Chiggy and you go, people compare him to Evan Ingram. He's not even close. Evan Ingram is a unicorn athlete. Like those don't come around all the time. So I just think we're it's, a, it's an outlier to start seeing a lot of these small and short tight ends, even if they're really athletic, producing. But I could be wrong. We'll see. But uh yeah, I, normally I want the bigger guys that play full-time roles, even if they're blocking a lot of times. Man, you know, Theo, he just made my entire argument against Dalton Kincaid that I've been saying for the last three weeks. I'll it's be on like, an island. I'm on an island today, It's guys. like he just recorded me and played it back to you, Theo, about not being on the field as much, and we're going to have concern about his usage and snap share coming on in his rookie, rookie campaign. Oh, man, I, I'll, I'll make sure to pay you afterwards, Scott. You know, I'm <laughs> glad you brought that up. To be continued, fellas, to be continued. <laughs> I will say that we take the tight end position very seriously. I think that there is a defeatist mentality when it comes to a lot of analysts, and they do not want to be wrong, Scott, because you can look really, really bad if you try to predict the tight end position. Uh, a lot of times it's the that really big dead zone, and only like one of those guys is really going to hit. And just to, just to kind of pour a little water on the position as a whole, in the last four years, We've only had 13 guys with over 200 PPR points in non-tight end premium. It's an impossible position to find value in, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop. And I think it's also, it's one of the positions that guys appear off the waiver wire that we can use, which is also a, a reason that I, I really like diving into it. Highly recommend our tight end episode we did last week with Matt Schof and Dan Williamson. It was tremendous. Very, very good stuff. I want to take it with to Billy here first, and then we'll go to Scott. We often talk about selling high in Dynasty, but do you think that that applies to young players as well? Is there an argument to selling Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave? As, as, as sick as it might make you feel, do you think there's an argument to selling them now in the summer of, of you know hype, redraft, steam, you name it? I think everything has a price. And it, determ- it it really is going to depend upon where your team and dynasty is sitting, right? Are you win now? Are you rebuilding, right? You have to consider all these things when you're determining if you're going to sell an asset or not. I, I, I just did a, the Dominator last week with Jax Falcone, and I was telling people to sell Justin Fields, right? And I think that there is a time and a place to capitalize on anybody, man. I think that you can't have, you can't play dynasty and think that, nobody is sellable. Like you have to be open to selling anybody on your roster, especially if you're rebuilding, right? Yes. It's very hard to sell Justin Jefferson. It's very hard to sell Jamar chase. Like Bijan Robinson's another name now, right? People are just not selling, but if you're in a certain circumstance, it might be in your best interest to trade these players in order to acquire 
a lot more assets. Now, it would take a lot for me to move on from Justin Jefferson. It would take a lot for me to move on from Jamar Chase. Those two, to me, are probably as close to unsellable as it gets. But everything has a price, and I think that you need to at least be open-minded when it comes to those offers. I think for the truly elite, truly, truly elite dynasty assets, it's it's format dependent. Because I think in certain formats that are deep, you could take on a, a large package, whereas uh, you know certain formats like the FFPC, which is not a uh, a true classical dynasty league, you know you're 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 cutting so many guys. It's very difficult to take like a package and and get on with it. Um, Scott, you could kind of tie this into kind of your trade philosophy with like the plus one, which I think is really 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 a great way to explain how to be a successful dynasty player. And maybe, uh, you know, kind of take that in the in the Alave Wilson direction. Yeah, this is a great example because those are the two names that stand out as they hit thresholds as rookies. Really good ones. And we oftentimes make the mistake with rookies going into their second year of, okay, well, they were this good as a rookie. And then you'll see people put in cohorts of, okay, these are all the players that did what they did as a rookie. And then here's what it looks like. And a lot of times those lists are very successful. You know, you'll see a name like you see the list for Alave and Garrett Wilson, and you'll see DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham. You know, you're like, damn, all those guys are really good. But what people fail to realize is that I think you're not saying if to sell them is that they're not good players. You're just saying take advantage of the short-term market that says, okay, I've seen a lot of Garrett Wilson wide receiver three steam in Dynasty, right? Like, man... He could be what A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb were, but they have already kind of peaked out. They've capped out to what they are. He's got this upside. He's got kind of this mythical value upside and production upside because he's now has Aaron Rodgers. That's fine, but I think what you're saying is basically you have to pick now that Garrett Wilson is valued as a top four, top three receiver. If you're holding that asset and that market is true in your league where someone is going, hey, I'll give you Amon Ross St. Brown in a first. I'll give you T. Higgins in a first, Devontae Smith in a first. You're looking at that as I'm making one of two bets. If Garrett Wilson takes off and gets into the Jefferson Chase range, we're talking 19, 20 points per game, you might lose that deal. If he's just what we think he is, a really good receiver that now is going to be dependent on how great is his quarterback, how much do things fall in his place to whether he is 19 points per game or 16, 17 points per game. He's good enough to be the 16, 17 points per game. We know that. We, we know how to find receivers that look like that. But when they get that high-end peak value, doesn't it make sense to kind of fade that? And then next year, I can go, you know what? If he's wide receiver eight, I'll buy because I know he's that good. We've seen it with Juju Smith-Schuster. We saw it with DJ Moore. We saw it with Chris Godwin. We saw it with DK Metcalf. We see it with a lot of these receivers that get pumped up because, Billy, guess what? Garrett Wilson was so good last year, he can only get 20% better, 30% better. Sky's the limit. But how many guys actually go from where those guys are now to 20% better? That's really hard to get to. A.J. Brown hasn't got there. CeeDee Lamb hasn't got there. They're close, but they're not Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson. Those guys hit 20 points per game in their first two years. Like, you know, you don't get there. You have to be really, really good. That's not the favorable bet. So I think it's it's just taking advantage of the market. You know, like I could sell Garrett Wilson. You give me T. Higgins or Devontae Smith and a first. I'm very confident those guys are going to finish top 15. They just probably won't finish in the top eight. But man, I'm getting an extra first round pick. If I'm right on Garrett Wilson and he's just wide receiver nine, I smash that trade. 
Because guess where he falls next year? Probably right where those guys are. And they're all really good. They're just not elite. So it's really just a bet. Do they become elite or not? And I tend to not want to bet that every year we're going to have at least one player become elite because it just doesn't happen that way. I think it's a fantastic way of looking at things. And then, Billy, just to drag it back to to your Justin Jefferson, and I'll ask you both, like, you know, to have a player like Justin Jefferson who we're drafting at like the one or the two and redraft and, and is just a truly, truly elite wide receiver. If somebody presents you a pivot where it's like CeeDee Lamb and Quentin Johnston or CeeDee Lamb, Quentin Johnson as second or something like that, Billy, is that the sort of package you would want where you get two bets? It, to me, it's still the Justin Jefferson side, but I, I'm curious what you would be looking for in that sort of a move. Again, it varies by team, but I actually acquired Justin Jefferson in a trade last year in a 500 FFPC dynasty. I gave up T Higgins in a first. Unfortunately, that first became Bijan Robinson. And so we saw, in my opinion, both sides of this trade actually win because I'm still happy getting Justin Jefferson. Um, but I think that that's the, like the level of receiver that you're going to have to give up is like a high end wide receiver two, a first plus, right? I think if you look at the trade in hindsight, yes, it's 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 art may I might have lost now losing Bijan, right? But in the initial trade, it looks like I really took advantage of him with T. Higgins in a first going into that season. And so I think we you just mentioned CD Lamb, right? Like CD Lamb, Quentin Johnson is not getting it done for, for me if I'm a Justin Jefferson owner, because I don't know what Quentin Johnson is yet, right? He still might be the number three or four option inside this passing game to start his career off. And we don't know if that's going to be one year, if that's going to be two years. We, we just don't know yet. Does he have an opportunity to be, you know, the back end wide receiver two, wide high end wide receiver three? Absolutely. But there's a lot of uncertainty. And to Scott's point, like I'm betting against it when I'm looking at the number one receiver in the game. Right. And so if it was CD Lamb in a first plus, I probably start thinking about it. Right. Just because I think that CD Lamb can make the leap. I don't think the CD Lamb will ever quite be on the same level as Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, but I think he can be close enough to where the assets that I'm going to acquire are going to get him to, or going to get me to that point. But to the same talking point, if I have other receivers on my roster, like Addison or like Tony, or if I have other weapons that I know that I can plug in as my wide receiver two in my flex spot, I don't necessarily need that additional asset. So it's all determines on what my roster looks like, what my needs are, because if I if if I need to, you know, acquire more depth, then I'm really considering moving Justin Jefferson for another tier one wide receiver and a first round plus. And so I think, again, it all breaks down to what your roster looks like, what your needs are and what your league also looks like, because no trade can be looked at in a black and white standpoint. You have to look at things from every angle and you have to say, how does this how does this benefit me? How is it going to benefit him? How is this going to manipulate and change the league? And all that has to be considered when you're making a trade. Yeah, and I think that that you really hit on a, on a number of really sharp things, Billy and Scott as well. I think Scott continually brings up the word format and the word scoring when he's evaluating. And some people just, oh, come on, I don't like hearing that. I want to just hear guys being ranked. But I think you have to look at that. And I think when it comes to dynasty, the word context really, really matters. Because you see a lot of these buy and sell articles and some of the best dynasty players that I know are selling and buying the exact same asset depending on their team context. And uh, I think that's the way to do it. And I also made a 
Justin Jefferson trade last year. I traded Devonta Smith in a one, and that one turned out to be like the 109. So I feel pretty good about that one. Scott, we hit an hour. We could talk to you for about three hours, but you were, you were, I know you got to save a little energy for your five hour marathon this Saturday. Uh, this was fantastic today. Highly recommend you follow Scott. Let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter. Let everybody know uh, what you have coming out. Yeah, appreciate you guys. We definitely could go uh, a long time. I know I can be long-winded on some points, but we hit some good stuff today. Uh, you guys can find me at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, everything should be linked there. But uh, Destination Devi, that's where all of my Dynasty content is housed other than Dynasty Trades in 5, which is a YouTube show. Um, I do have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash dynasty and chill and a massive community over there. I do do content over there uh, a couple times a week just for the patrons. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, our chasing the helmet, my partner, Jay Reed. Uh, anytime I go on a show, he's uh, he's always like, don't forget about me, Scott. So I want to give a shout out to Jay. Uh, looking forward to redraft season. It's uh, not nine to 10 months of my brain is usually dynasty. But once we get into like, June, July, August, he's like, you got to turn it off. Be quit, quit chasing all these leverage trades and thinking about value and just talk about how do we win right now. Uh, so shout out to Jay. But yeah, appreciate you guys. You guys do great stuff, a player profiler. Theo, you've become, I, d- I don't want to give you a shout out. You have become a awesome, like just conduit of content from like the that. hosting standpoint. Like you, you can put on all hats, but I also know you can turn around and you could be the guest on a show and actually talk shop and be the one that's making all of the expert points. Uh, so I, I, that is something in the dynasty space. You and Alan Soslowski can host a show anytime. And like, that is a lost art. Like no, nothing against Billy, but like, and in myself, my strength is not highlighting everybody else. It's getting on here and talking, you know, but like Theo does a good job of keeping it together. So I just want to give you props uh, you become an awesome host. So thanks both for having me on. Yeah, I, I really second appreciate that. that. We've talked to, I've told Theo time and time again, like, man, you've been a killer host. I absolutely love it. But I also want to shout out to to you and Chasing the Helmet. You guys put in a lot of effort when when we did the uh, FFPC video showdown. You guys submitted all of those 20 videos. We're going to pick that back up again next year. Um, so I'll make sure to come your way. Um, but that was a f- phenomenal job by everybody that participated. But thank you guys in particular from Chasing the Helmet. That was awesome. And Billy, do you have a Dominator coming out? Yeah, we moved it to Sunday. The poll won on YouTube. It was 5149. Uh, and I think Matt and I just timing wise, it's better for our schedule. So that had something to do with it as well. Uh, but we're going to be talking Dynasty on Friday. Uh, you filled in for me yesterday, Man vs. Machine with Dario and, and, and Keith. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, but I am officially back in town, back from FSGA, ready to rock and roll, ready to podcast more, get caught up on some content. Um, and of course, get some more drafts done. So thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Always a pleasure talking, talking dynasty. Yeah, no, I love it. And next week, uh, if you really enjoyed the Josh Larkey wide receiver episode and you enjoyed the tight end episode we did last week where we really deep dive into the positions uh, next week, we have Jacob Sanderson coming on. Jacob is very sharp and Jacob is also very, very uh, strong at evaluating running backs. Billy, Jacob and I are going to dive into so many running backs that by the end of the episode, you're going to be ready to crush crush your redraft leagues. Uh, guys, this was awesome. Happy oh, Hold up. Hold up. We can't stop. Oh, we got. We can't stop. Someone just made a donation for a pick here. So we got to answer the okay. question. Okay. All right. We here go. we go. <laughs> I'm back, boys. Can you pick a side you like more? Tyreek Hill versus 2023 pick 105 plus. Is it a 2033? Get the <laughs>
He means no, 2023. He means the 105 and the what? Yeah. <laughs> 10 years yeah. later. He wants you to draft Patrick Mahomes' son in 10 years. That's part okay. of the equation. I bet he means 23. Yeah. Yes. So 105 and 108. What, what side are you on? I, I was just going to say, if that's if that's in 10 years and it's tight end <laughs> premium, that's when baby Gronk will be coming out, right? Baby <laughs> Gronk, baby. You got to take the 2023 uh, pick 108. <laughs> Tyreek Hill or the one of, so let's call it uh, 105 and non, 108. Non-super flex, I'm guessing. Yeah. Non-super flex. So it's, we'll call it uh, Jordan Addison and uh, Zay Flowers or Tyreek Hill, Scott. And he clarified it's 2023 and 1QB. So there you go. Yeah, one QB. I think you're lucky to get Addison and Zay Flowers at 105 and 108. So I would take the Tyreek side, especially if this is shallow, without knowing how many starters, all the formats, stuff like that. Just it's a, this is one of those two for ones where you are not getting the leverage. You are you're basically giving up like two quarters for a dollar here, maybe a, a fifty cent piece and a quarter. It's just not it's not equal. Give me the Tyreek side. What yeah, if it was t- a silver half dollar though? Was it a rare one? <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, Tyreek Hill is, is uh, Billy, we have our rankings dropping. Everybody will be able to see them in an article and a social media post right around Monday or Tuesday with the world famous draft kit coming up. And I have Tyreek Hill as the 103 right now. I think Tyreek is going to absolutely smash 170 uh, targets last year, guys. That's hard to trade. Hard to trade that 170. Anyway, everyone have a fantastic night. Uh, good luck to the U.S. men's national team tonight. I'm going to say Dos Acero in Las Vegas, and I'm going to say it's Dalton Kincaid season. Don't listen to these guys. Go get yourself some Kincaid. <laughs> Have a great night. Gotta love those slut guys. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.